You can put that next picture up, Daniel. Uh, the cute little picture that you just had up before. Cute, isn't it? Anybody, everybody see that? You know what it is? Those pig. Such a beautiful picture, isn't it? Apparently they met online. No? I've mixed it up this morning. I've went, uh, I've, I've went visual. I was going to use the one Patricia sent me during the week, but I would have been kicked out this morning. <laughs> we'll let Patricia do the jokes next week. Um, we've been talking the last, the last number of weeks, uh, and we're continuing around this idea of how we redeem, how we steward well what's been entrusted to say, no matter what you've carried in this morning, no matter what your nationality, there's, there's, all, there's been something that has been entrusted to us, and we've, we're summarizing it with our time, our treasure, and our talent, our gifts. And without wanting to exhaust this or milk too much, we're going to spend another week on just reflecting a wee bit more around time. Um, we, we spent the last couple of weeks, I think, going trying to sort of say it is important to go, to go back, to look back. Sometimes we, we talked about nostalgia. Talked about sometimes the problem is we go back, look back, and almost romanticize everything as bliss, um, forgetting about some of the stuff that we tend to forget about. It wasn't as blissful as maybe we remember, um, but also. We, there's, a, there's a, like an insidious form of nostalgia where we look back and we're filled with shame and regret and almost ignore and suppress. And we just wanted to say it's actually really important that we just acknowledge and take ownership of where we've been and take ownership of our story. Because if we've said yes, if we've sang along with this song, or as any part of us has even wanted to sing along with this song, I've decided to follow Jesus, then... It, it changes everything because now your story, however that has been, whatever way that's looked, is now, it's now brought into his story. And he doesn't ignore all the hurt. He doesn't ignore all the pain. He doesn't all, ignore all the things that you've carried shame with. He, he, uh, your story is carried into his story. He's not scrapping everything to start a new book. He is writing a new chapter. But he's not scrapping everything and turning it up to start a new book. He's writing... A new chapter, and so we've went, we've we've went back, and, and so we're some part of our our times of worship has just been to create a space where the Holy Spirit can just bring healing and restoration and reconcile some of those some of those things. Because as we think about where we've been and where we're going, it's all because we want to live faithfully now. We want to inhabit the present really well. We want to live faithfully in in the now, and so that is why we look back. Soren Kierkegaard is uh, this incredible Danish stood backwards. His frustration was that they'd, they'd left out another proposition to that. Life, life should be understood backwards, but his argument was that it and he felt like the philosophers left out in order that it would be lived forwards. And so we want to we talk a wee bit around that 
uh, today, I hope. Um, this book came to my attention this week, um, so I should make a disclaimer. I haven't read it yet, um, but it's on its way. World of Books has it told me this morning by email that it's on its way. This book called The Life, the Life of the Mind, uh, it's a novel by a girl called Christine Smallwood. It talks about, in the book, it's about this girl, Dorothy. And through this book, Dorothy's went through some trauma, some real difficult moments, and, and I suppose the book is trying to show how you know that something, how to know when something has come to an end. How, when you know that it's time to let go, how you know when it's time to say goodbye to ambition. There's a couple of things throughout uh, just the, re the book reviews that I read of this that struck me. Um, that some of the language that, uh, that the author used to talk about Dorothy's story. She was in a moment where she was discerning the difference between the texture of Kairos and the gruesome slog of Kronos. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to, f to fully articulate that, because now that I'm reading it, I'm like, whoa, what's that? Texture of Kairos. We've talked a wee bit about that. We, whenever Nigel was up sharing his, sharing his testimony. Kairos are these moments. The dictionary will define it as um, at a time when the conditions are right for the accomplishment of a crucial action. Uh, and, and Kronos, Kronos is just the time that we live in, the ticking of the clock, it's this linear timeline that we are on. And so the story of this girl, Dorothy, is that she's just on this gruesome slog, this ordinary, everyday slog of day after day, time after time, nothing seeming to change, no moment of breakthrough, but longing to know when is the moment when is that Kairos moment? When are the conditions right for something to happen? And she's waiting for that. She, the book is that her waiting for that moment, waiting for that unveiling. She uses this line, the author, talk about Dorothy, says that it turns out that you have to endure a lot of Kronos before you know it's Kairos o'clock. You have to endure a lot of the of the, the the timeline, just the everyday ordinary, the slog of that ongoing life. It sounds it sounds a bit dreary, doesn't it? You have to endure that. You have to be faithful to that. You have to be present in that to be able to discern when is Kairos o'clock. When is the moment of breakthrough? So all of that is a bit of a summary, a bit of a uh, sort of a. I'm really looking forward to this book coming, and hopefully we'll talk a bit more succinctly about it whenever I get it. Um, but Annie Dillard is another author that I really value, and she says any moment is susceptible to eruption. Kairos attends Kronos as an ever-present possibility. And so now we're getting to the language of hope here. Now we're getting to the language of um, that we could we are going to be faithful in the waiting because every moment, if she is right, Kairos, breakthrough, um, pivotal moment, a crucial moment is an ever-present possibility.
It is a moment, um, any moment, even as we sit here today. I've, that's what I've been praying for Bridget this morning. Bridget put a message up in her church group, just saying she needed prayer. And any blip, any moment of chronos, any moment holds the possibility of being Kairos. Any moment, any blip, it is a moment that is pregnant with possibility. That's what I've been praying for Bridget today. That's what I've been praying for, for some of you this week. For the last couple of weeks, even as we're fasting, there just would be a moment. There would be a, a, a recognition that any moment is pregnant with possibility. Paul Tillich, another theologian I value, he says every moment, when he speaks of Kairos, he says it's, that every moment might be the small gate through which the Messiah will enter. And I know he's always here. I know he's always present. I know he'll never leave us or forsake us, but there's, there's moments where it feels that that is true. At moments that that feels like we're, we're wanting that. I know that he's here. I know that he's with us. I know that he's present. But we're just looking for that small gate through which Messiah would enter. Um. Put up that picture of the timeline, Daniel, will you? This was um, 1765, a guy called Joseph Priestley. This would be a good table quiz question, if anybody put table quizzers among us. Uh, 1765, a guy called Joseph Priestley was the, one, the first man to create um, the timeline. Uh, what was that, two, 250 years ago? Um, and that's a that's an example of a, of a timeline, straight line, linear. And so this was this was all during the period of of enlightenment. The timeline just suited the day because it was this measure, just measured progress. It was just a straight line forward, no going back, just a straight line onward and upward and I suppose whenever we've been trying to talk about it the last couple of weeks I think it was last week we maybe we used the the image of the spirograph where we just wanted to say that life is not linear healing is not linear Rec restoration of relationship none of that is linear this was all very much supporting the fantasy of um, linear time because lines linear lines they erase all of the zigs and the zags linear time erases all of the moments where you maybe got stuck or maybe it erases all of those things where it feels you've just went, went round and round in a circle there's maybe moments in life where you've just spiraled and that's why this spirography thing was Maybe a good example. Sometimes that's where we find ourselves. And, the, and, and thinking that life is linear, this illusion of linear time, ignores the zigs and the zags, the ups and the downs, the spiraling out of control. E.M. Foster is an author that said, we must be willing to let go of the life we had planned so as to have the one that is waiting for us. 
there's part of me would would love to get even more get, get fully stuck into Ecclesiastes um, this morning, and I will make reference to it. But again, without being, without getting too melancholic or too down, which is really hard <laughs> when you're if you want to fully engage with this book, it's fascinating in many ways. But I've come to appreciate much of it. I think the deep lesson of Ecclesiastes is not to like bemoan our mortality. Not saying again, how do you make this sound good? But we're all we're all going to die. Life is life is short. And I think the writer of Ecclesiastes is not is not the deep lesson is not that we bemoan that but to face it, accept it, and then redeem it. To face it, accept it, and redeem it. And what has fascinated me over the last while is that I, this was one of those books that I probably felt like I, I ignored because it opens up with uh, the words of the teacher, meaningless, meaningless. That's how he starts out, and that's what he continues with. So you could go to Ecclesiastes 6 or Ecclesiastes 7 or 11 or 12, probably in other places that I've chosen to ignore, but over and over, it's meaningless. Um, but that's what I love about scholars. That's what I love about, about digging a wee bit deeper because the word for that is used for meaningless the whole way through Ecclesiastes is this word hebel. I'm not looking at William because I'm probably making a hash of the pronunciation, but H-E-B-E-L, and it does not mean meaningless, as we would understand it. It means mist or vapor. Can you confirm or deny? Don't, as long as you're not denying, let me just—I'll just keep going. Hebel is this? It, it actually—it meant that life was a, life was a mist. Life was a vapor. Don't check now in case I'm wrong. I'll have to change everything that I've said. <laughs> meaningless was this word hebel. And um, it meant, that meant, that was a word that meant mist, meant vapor or something to that effect. So then I'm, it feels like I'm, I'm entering into this book again slightly differently. Because it's not that he's saying life is meaningless. It's not that he's saying life is pointless. He's just acknowledging. And he's saying it's a mist. It's a vapor. What's that? Cast, it's a casting crowns here today and gone tomorrow, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I call. When I'm calling, catch me when I'm falling. So tempted to sing. Um, and then interestingly, on a side note, because we're going through Genesis, and we'll be back there again the next couple of Wednesdays, and then just so you know, we're going to do something different then after those two Wednesdays. Um, but Hebel is the name for Adam's second son. Cain and Hebel, Abel, probably more familiar with. But Hebel is the name of Adam's second son, the first human to suffer, suffer death. He's the first person, he's the first human, first life to know the reality of life as a vapor. But then there's other interesting points here that again I feel like I've missed in my first time reading through this. If it, life is meaningless and it's a chasing after the wind, as he says later on in chapter one, then how, am I, how do you engage with this? How do you engage with this with any sense of purpose or any sense of hope? But again, 
scholars will say that this is, Peter Leithart in particular will say, it's not a chasing after the wind. It means it's a shepherding the wind. To life, it's not meaningless. But it is a vapor. It is here today and gone tomorrow. But how do we acknowledge that? Accept it and redeem it. Chasing after the wind, if Leithart and many are right, better translated, shepherd, shepherding the wind, then how do we shepherd what's fleeting yet given? Life that's been given. It's not, a, it's not a meaningless. It's not a futile chasing after the wind. It is a mist. It is a vapor. We get to shepherd it. We get to shepherd what's fleeting yet given. And I really believe that this does not have to lead to, to, to melancholy. This does not have to lead to us like being a bit gloomy from today's message. I hope. Um, uniquely this week inspired by a Japanese nun from the 13th century who in her counseling, in her like instructing to the poets of the day, used this word there's no Japanese people to help me correct me, but they used she used live with a awareness of things, a sensitivity to the to those ah moments, sensitivity to enjoy what is temporary, sensitivity to enjoy what is a mist, what is a vapor. We've sang, I have decided to follow Jesus today. And sometimes, and I don't want to be reluctant, because maybe for some of you that, that, that has been your understanding, following Jesus on this linear path and always onward and upward. But I want to suggest another way of following um, put the second picture up there, Daniel. Um, really the first picture I found when I typed in dance hall. Um, maybe the idea of viewing church or viewing life or viewing following Jesus more like a dance hall than a timeline or a timetable. Does that make sense? Um, and so I'm sort of I'm half reluctant because some of the stuff that I would want to say about a dance hall and it's going to be really corny and cheesy. So trying to trying to walk the line here between not being overly corny here. There's something about, um, and not only that, but I don't know anything about dancing, so I feel like a bit of a fraud. But there is a give and take. There is a following, not just of not just of your dance partner, but also of the music. And um, forgive me for taking out my phone, but there's just this this quote. Uh, just in line with this, the the the. So we're following in our following. We can follow in this linear path, this timetable. 
almost like that chronos time, we'll, just, we'll have it all marked out. Or we could follow the, like the give and take of the dance. We listen to the person who is leading and we listen to the music. We listen, and we listen to them both and then we respond creatively. Because there's not a one-size-fits-all. Not a fixed way in dancing. And for, for some of us, it's going to require paying attention, being sensitive to the ah moments to know how we respond to the leading of the dance partner. And I'm afraid of saying that because, because Paul's there and Paul, like, titles or sermons and I don't want them to use Jesus as our dance partner in any way. Please don't do that, Paul. But there is that. So this is what a girl called Claire Will says. She says, a fo- I love that a follower is all antennae. It's all antennae. She or he must cultivate a kind, listen to this language, I don't know if you'll all be comfortable with this, but she or he must cultivate a kind of active uncertainty a positive doubt. She must be relaxed enough to feel the slightest of cues from her partner and yet sufficiently poised mentally and physically to be able to play, to respond, to hold back, to make form out of commitment, interruption and hesitation. Her weight must be finely balanced um, so that she can answer the call to step or turn this way or that as though she had anticipated it, yet without having known what was coming. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not a dancer, but I find some of that so beautiful. I imagine as a dancer, that would just, like, you would just get that. Um, but James Smith, James Smith uses something of what I'm trying to get to here. Imagine the church, this is what he says, imagine the church not like a timetable, but as a dance hall. Every worship service is practice for dancing into the world. The bride of Christ is invited into the distinct creative joy of following, attentive to the leader, listening for the music, poised, attentive, attuned. What now? What next? And it's sort of that idea that I want to finish with. We think of that, the, the, the Kairos moment. Because I do think, I do think it, could just, it could just happen at any moment. Believe that, that there just could be a moment where there is there is breakthrough, there is a pivotal, crucial moment on that gruesome slog of Kronos. But I do think there is something on us. I do think there is something on our posture and our willingness to be attentive that that so that we don't miss the moment. That our antenna would be up. Our posture and our attentiveness is so important. And I want to say this, that we're not, so next, not, um, not next Sunday night, but the Sunday night after, we're having another night. So that'll be our third since the turn of the year of just creating a space of, for worship, creating a space for prayer, for people to be prayed for, for people to lead us in moments of prayer and reflection. We're not doing that, honestly, we're not doing that to fill a calendar. We're not doing it out of any pressure to have a Sunday evening service. We're not. We're doing it because I think we're recognizing the need to create a space that we are attentive, that we're listening. 
to create a space where we are aware of our posture. We're aware of our, our poise. We're aware of how we're following the dance. And over and over again through, through what Jesus says throughout the Gospels, and maybe we can come back to that next week. We'll give another week to this. Or I'd love to hear from you where you're at with some of this. Uh, help lead where we go or do something different. <laughs> Stay away from that dance stuff. Whatever it is, um, let me know. But throughout, over and over, Jesus sort of like, even in Matthew 13, where he's talking about the weeds and the, and the, and the plants growing together. Maybe your instinct at times would be to just immediately pull the weeds. Says, don't. He almost gives us an idea of something of the Kairos moment. He's like, just wait. You'll know the right time. And several times throughout, throughout Jesus' words and several times throughout Paul's writing, he will also use almost that idea of hold back, pay attention, discern what's going on. Because it's just the right time. And we, we read that. I'd encourage you to go and find those times throughout, um, throughout Paul's letters and through the words of Jesus where it's at, at just the right time. I know there's a, linear, there's a linear thing here that you think it's now, do it then, but wait, hold back, pay attention, and you'll know, you'll know the moment. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, 10 is probably my favorite example of this. Because if Jackie's right, if Jackie's antennae has been right, then there is maybe a sense of weariness. I hope something of today would echo, would be able to echo the words of Paul in Galatians, to the Galatians. Please do not go weary in doing good because at just the right time, at any moment, every moment is pregnant with possibility. And at that moment, you'll reap if you don't give up. At that moment, you'll, you'll bear fruit. At that moment, you'll, there will be that breakthrough. There will be that encounter at just the right time. The carous moment, you'll reap if you don't give up. And I hope that, that something of that would create an anticipation within us. And I, I don't want to be, I'm not saying this is prophetic, I'm just observing that today whenever I walked out of the house and seen that it was, that there was ice on the windscreen, I was really surprised by it. I don't know why, I just assumed it's, it's February, that's, that's that done. Don't need to fill the kettle anymore until Christmas to clear the, clear the windscreen. And uh, so anyway, I cleared, cleared the windscreen and made my way here. And for whatever reason, I just found myself reflecting on a conversation, that brief conversation that Judith's mum started with her yesterday. I was just around planting. It's around, keep me right, it's around like bulbs that are going to be planted or what's your plan or what are you thinking? And so it feels like you're still in a bit of a winter season. It still feels like the ground is hard. It still feels like there's no thought, for me anyway. I'm a rubbish gardener as well as a rubbish dancer. Um, there's no thought of, of spring. But just here in, here in Margaret, that she's making preparation, that even though it, 
is winter. And even though we're not going to see anything bloom or anything flower or grow for another while yet, I just was struck by our posture, by paying attention to the ground, paying attention to the to what we need, and it almost like it just felt like there was a, there was an anticipation. They thought in like in the physical, in the gardening world, that maybe it would just be good for us. That maybe it does feel a bit wintry. Feels like this winter is lasting longer than we were expecting on our timeline. This linear timeline, February is like winter's over. But maybe it's lasting maybe a bit longer, but I'm hoping and praying that for that there would be just an, like an anticipation would would be stirred within us. That even though it seems like it's it's gonna be so long, let's 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 watch our posture, pay attention. And now I'm into full on rambling. So let's uh, just gonna pray, you're gonna play one more for us. Um Father, and I just ask that you would do that. Whatever we're whatever we find ourselves, God, whatever is um going on in our hearts and our minds, even as we sit here today. God, I just pray that there would be some level of anticipation, God, some seed of faith, some small, minuscule seed of faith, God, that we would um, at least be able to build or create, build on some sort of anticipation of a new season. At the same time, we don't want to we don't want to miss what we're learning in the winter months. We don't want to miss what we're what we're learning, what you're teaching us in the months of where it's hard and it's cold. God, would you would just uh, awaken us to the to the moments in this short vapor mist life. Um, every moment pregnant with possibility and you teach us and instruct us and help us to steward what is fleeting yet given and you've entrusted time to us to redeem it and we pray that this worship our time of worship will be a time where we listen well in order to continue our dance in the world Yeah, so God, we um, just as we we close out with this song, God, we still we pray that you just settle our hearts just for for a few more moments. God, the temptation just to to run quickly, or in our minds prepare for dinner. Will we get dessert on the way home? But God, just in this moment, will we be sensitive enough? Would you raise our antenna?